the Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I'm co-founder of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions provides easy-to-set-up lines of credit for small businesses, and I will be your host for today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. If you are interested in learning more about a business line of credit for your business, please visit our website at fscreditline.com. That's FS, as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com. And uh, I, I've been uh, in, I've had my own companies for over 25 years. And over those 25 years, probably two, 22 of them, I always had a line of credit in place. You know, I really, really believe in it. It's why I really started this company with my business partner. We believe that every business should have a line of credit just in case. Over the last 25 years, I've built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range, uh, including two companies on the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in the United States. I love learning from people with business experience. And today I'm very excited to be speaking with Andrew Bryant from Self Leadership International. Andrew the F- Bryant, the founder of Self Leadership International, is a global leadership speaker, a C-suite advisor, an award-winning coach and author, including Self-Leadership, How to Become a More Successful, Efficient, and Effective Leader from the Inside Out, and the new leadership playbook, Being Human Whilst Successfully Delivering Accelerated Results. Andrew is on a mission to wake up people or to... uh, uh, to, to their best possible selves. And he has been doing this for over 25 years through his books, speeches, and executive coaching. Andrew has clients throughout the world that he coaches, uh, definitely including the United States and all throughout other parts of the world as well. Andrew, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Stephen, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Do you think leadership today has changed? That's the question, right? Has leadership changed? So I love this question because it means that I I can challenge what people think about leadership because it means different things to different people. So leadership is a process. It's a process of influencing people in a manner that enables them to achieve group goals. So leadership's a process. And leadership is an algorithm of three fundamental things, the leader's style, the follower's motivation and skill sets, and the environment. So over the last two plus years, as we found our way in the midst of a global pandemic, did the environment change? Yes. Were uh, employees' motivation and skill sets challenged? Yes. Did leaders' styles adapt? Well, yes and no. So if we look at leadership from the position of what does a leader need to do in terms of style to engage people in a new environment, then yes, we've had a need for an upgrade in leadership and the leadership process. That's how I'd answer that question. You know, I I, I never put much thought into the leadership question, certainly, but never much about this this next area that I wanted to ask you about. So there's old school leadership, which is more dictatorial, right? 
Um, there is n- maybe new world leadership, which is more inclusive. Isn't it probably the best idea just to have a leadership style, regardless if it's maybe not the most current one? So there, now there is an argument for that. Uh, it's called contingent leadership, and you know, this is the MBA podcast, and I, I'm, I'm guest faculty on a number of MBA programs, and there is something called contingent leadership, which says pick the leader for the context. And, and Right, but the reality is, of course, the context changes very rapidly. Now, there's a story I use in the book um, that says, you know, if you and I were on an airplane at 35,000 feet, the oxygen masks did fall from the ceiling and there's a loud bang and smoke swirls around our ankles. If the captain came out of the cockpit and said, ladies and gentlemen, clearly there's a bit of a problem. I'd like to create some focus groups and get your buy-in in terms of what I should do about this problem. Then at that point, even the atheists would be getting religion, right? So yeah. um, that clearly in that situation and context with those people who may be highly motivated but probably not skilled to fly the plane, the leader's style would be the wrong style for that scenario. You Right there, you need a directive leader to tell you what to do. Right? But if when we got on that plane and it was a regular flight, you know, you, you got on at JFK or Dallas and, and you got on the plane and the, the leader came on the tannoy and said, right, sit down, buckle up, don't move until I tell you, then we go, I'm never flying this airline ever again. So clearly context matters. And again, in the book, there's a couple of examples of one company that was doing really well. Um, I was interviewing the chief people officer of that organization and she said, we, we, we thought we had the perfect leader. She was engaging. She was empowering. She asked great questions. She got the best out of people. But when going got tough, she couldn't step into the directive leadership role. Mm. And they swapped her out and brought in a very directive leader who was terrible at the people side, but was able to drive in that context. So you can either argue both cases, pick the leader for the situation or help leaders to have a repertoire of different leadership styles and the ability to read the situation. Yeah. You know, I, <clears throat> I took a, um, me and my wife had taken a, a, a parenting seminar and in that seminar, the, the, uh, the guy who was teaching it said that one of the things that children do throughout their lives, not their lives, but as they're growing up is they try on something a persona and see if it matches what they like in themselves. So they'll say, let's see if I uh, like being the, the um, shy person in class. Let's see if I like being the leader in class. Let's see if I like being the bully in class. And that's how they learn. Yes, I like this. No, I don't like this. I, I kind of think like through my career, um, early career, I was doing some of that by diving into a lot of leadership books about people who are, you know, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King, you know, all these different, you know, John D. Rockefeller, all these deep, different people and seeing what their leadership styles were and then saying, oh, you know, this matches what I think 
I'd like to do, or let me try this and so on and so forth. What do you think about that idea? Is that you think it's a bad idea? Ah, there are no, there are no bad ideas. It's just, again, you know, I'm going to sound repetitive here, but it is about context, right? Um, I think trying on leadership styles is great. And if you have the opportunity to do it, my biggest challenge in leadership was never when I ran my own companies or when I worked for other people's companies. The biggest challenge for me was when I led volunteer organizations. And when you lead a team of volunteers, and I've been the president of Asia Professional Speakers uh, Association. You, in, in the US, you have the National Speakers Association. I've been to many of the conventions there. And I'm currently the president of the uh, Professional Speakers Association of Spain, even though I live in Portugal. And when you lead volunteers, firstly, that's tough. But when you lead speakers, it's like leading cats on cocaine, I think. You know, these are people who are highly ego-driven. That, um, so getting buy-in from those people is different from what I've done in other situations, running my own company. So I think it's good to have a, a repertoire. And if you did have a childhood where you tried on different roles, then you have something to draw upon. But here's the kicker. Leadership is not a popularity contest. So in your uh, parenting seminar, it said children try on to see what they like. I would, I would, as an adult, say we try on what gives us the results that we're looking for. Because sometimes as a leader, we have to, and as a parent, you know this, you have to take on a style that isn't in the short term going to make you popular. Sometimes you've got to drive through a change and you can't be running your leadership as a popularity contest because you won't get the results. And hence the subtitle of my latest book, which is Being Human Whilst Delivering Accelerated Results. You've got to be able to do both. You've got to be able to connect with the people and you've still got to deliver results. Because as you know, as a manager, as a leader, if you don't deliver the results, your tenure is going to be limited. Yeah, and I don't think you that, just to backtrack and, and not that it matters. Yeah. I don't think the the parenting uh, coach or seminar that was giving it was saying that kids do it to be popular. They're they're doing to say, um, this do I like do I like it? Do I like it? Okay, I yeah. think for for a leader or let's even a manager, you know a you know let's managers loose let's just say leader. Okay, um, I think they would say is this fits me and it delivers the results I'm looking for. And it fits if you already have employees, it fits the group of employees that will accept that type of leadership style that you decide to pick on. Um, you know, I think, you know, I, I did this early on in my career and in, in between, I started my first company when I was 29. And then, so I would say between the ages of 29 and 35 or 40 is when I really studied to really study leadership and understand more about myself um, because it was more trial by fire than anything else. You know, uh, you know, uh, running a company and then, you know, which is a lot of times when you're doing it early on, you're, you're, you're doing everything, Right. The the last thing you're thinking about is let me dive into what type of leader I am. <laughs> that comes a little bit later when you have the time to take a step back and say, okay, I have people doing work now. I have a manager in place or managers in place. And now I can take some time to develop my skill as a leader here. That, at least that was my experience. Yeah. 
And, and you've really hit the nail on the head there when you say, when I stepped back. And that's yeah. when we begin to become a leader, right? Because if you're only operating from one default leadership style, you're not stepping back. And, and at, when you step back, you're at choice point. Um, in my 2012 book, Self-Leadership, Had I Become a More Successful, Efficient, and Effective Leader from the Inside Out, I start with a chess analogy and say, you know, if you were a piece on a chessboard, which would you be? Are you a pawn, pretty helpless and likely to be sacrificed? Or are you more entrepreneurial, like a knight jumping forwards and sideways, surprising people? Are you somebody who likes to cut through the red tape like a bishop? Or are you more a stickler for uh, procedures and risk averse, like like a, a rook? And, uh, you know, I take the analogy all the way through to the, the queen and the king. And the thing about chess is it's a game that you have to step back and play the right piece at the right time. And so you've got choices. You know, there's there's a time to play the rooks. There's a time to play the knights. There's a time to play the bishops. And that that's the skill of chess. And the other thing about chess is often you'll feel stuck, right? Somebody else has got you hemmed in. And as a leader, it's always about finding the options and the opportunities. And, and that's what a good chess player does. They go, well, hang on a moment. You know, if this is happening, I'm getting really tied up here. I need to find an option. I need to find a choice. I need to find some flexibility to move. And then I generate the opportunity. And as a business owner, and as a, you know that the profit comes when you articulate and that opportunity for your, for your clients. That's when the money comes. Yeah, I, I think being a chameleon as a leader, if that's the right word, is, is critical. If you can, okay, well, if you could develop your leadership style and continue to add different parts to it, you know, you don't, you don't always, have, you don't always have to fall into one category, right? You can, you know, you, you, you can use different techniques too. You know, I, I know with me, one, one of the things I, I definitely learned I was really good at was um, gaining consensus, but that sounds different, not, not great, but I was really good at knowing where I wanted people to go, but having them come up with the idea and the, on how to get there, even though I knew that's where I wanted them to go in the first place. So I, you know, I really, I never loved telling somebody you have to do this. It was very rare for me to do that. I was really good at helping them convince them to understand why it was in their best interest or the company's best interest, which is in their best interest to, to move in this direction. And that was, um, I found with this, with the variety of different generations that you sometimes are managing and working with and leading that that style worked well. So rather you're saying, you know, I don't, I'm not like asking for your advice on it. Um, what I'm saying is, you know, finding your voice as a leader, I think is really, really important for, for you becoming a great business person. Oh, the two, I absolutely agree that the two are correlated. I think it's very difficult to sustainably run a business unless you've developed the leadership. And, you know, the style that you are, you know, you're describing participative or collaborative leadership is a great default style to have, right? A collaboration. And, you know, as I, as I talk to business leaders, you know, during the pandemic and in this sort of 
almost post-pandemic world, you know, there are three challenges that they're facing, um, you know, culture, because it's it's really hard, you know, when everybody's operating from their desk or their bedroom and they're not coming together to build a sense of inclusion and and also to articulate right behaviours. Um, and uh, the other thing is, is around uh, communication in that they're not dialoguing well enough. Uh, and the third one really is... Um, is around collaboration, getting people to work together, which was hard sometimes even before the pandemic. But when people are in different locations, how do you get people to collaborate? We, we only tend to collaborate out of a sense of abundance. If people are needy or fearful, then they mark out territory, right? They don't share resources and they don't share information. So again, that goes back to then the cultural piece is creating an environment as a leader that is psychologically safe for people to contribute their ideas, their energy, their effort in a way that they feel safe to do so. And they don't feel, they feel built up from doing that. They don't feel depleted because if I give a good idea and then somebody else either shoots me down or steals that idea and puts it forward as their own, then that's the end of my participation from that point forwards. What do you do? Like, so give me a typical scenario. Why, why do typically people come to you as a coach? Um, whether they're coming one-to-one or whether an organization's coming to me is slightly different, right? So, you know, I work as a, as a leadership coach for the executive leadership team, the CEO, the managing director, and, you know, all of the functions, and then cascading that down through an organization. Or sometimes people come directly to me, um, and they're, they're funding it out of their own pocket. Now, the ones that come to me directly funding it out of their own pocket have recognized um, that what got them here won't get them to the next level. Uh, and in fact, that's a title of a book by a friend of mine, What Got You Here Won't Get You to There by Marshall Goldsmith. And what people have found is that, you know, they, they, they followed the plan. They, they worked hard at school. They got into a good university. You know, they got a good degree. They did an internship. They got a good job. They went back. They did their master's degree. They worked their tails off. And they were expecting that they would then be invited to the senior leadership or the C-suite and they are stuck and they work harder and harder. And then they see people with less competency than them sail past them and move up. And they like, that's not fair. What am I missing? And then I get the phone call going, you know, help. And um, that's the number one reason. And I'll pause there. I'll tell you what I do with them if you're interested. That was going to be my next question. Well, my next question, what's the <laughs> methodology you use next as a, a, to help them, co to coach them? Is it just, well, let me, let me prompt you. Like, my question is, do you, do you help discover what their leadership style is now? You know, um, do you have conversations about what does leadership mean to them? You know, awareness about leadership. What what is the methodology that you kind of go through? Well, as I mentioned, I I wrote the book on self leadership, and self leadership is the practice of intentionally influencing influencing your thinking, feeling, and actions towards your objectives. So the functions of self leadership are self awareness. You know, who am I? What is my leadership style? What is my motivation? Um, self-learning, my ability to identify the gaps and learning that I need to make and then fulfilling that, and self-regulation or self-management, which we sometimes call emotional intelligence, the ability to be in the right state to do what I need to do. So, you know, I have a psychometric that helps them discover that. I have psychometrics that help people understand their, their leadership style. 
So once somebody's got the self-awareness, which will will give them the self-confidence to step up into a leadership position, and if we've had to address any self-esteem issues which were underneath the self-confidence, sometimes people say, I lack confidence, but actually what they do is they, they're really lacking some level of self-value. And to get into the C-suite, you have to have some fairly healthy entitlement. You have to believe that you belong there, otherwise you'll never get invited, um, nor will you become an entrepreneur and start your own business. Then when we've done that, you know, you look at the executive presence part, of, which I cover in, in my new book because it's one of the principles of leadership, executive presence, the ability to project confidence, gravitas, and poise under pressure and the ability to read the room. So we make sure they've addressed those. And then the final piece is influence capital, is, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know, or it's how you articulate what you know to get the buy-in. And influence capital isn't taught in MBA programs very often, um, unless I'm doing an external faculty piece and I talk about it. Um, There's an assumption that you will learn this on the way, but sometimes I need to spell it out for people. Let me ask you about Steve Jobs. There are certain leaders, especially today, that we see. I don't know enough about Elon Musk. Jobs, I do. Um, You know, Gates is a little different because he's he was an introvert. But you know, Steve Jobs to me doesn't seem like a leader. Like he seemed like to me like just this huge visionary who just was a bull in a china shop and would just, you know, knock everybody out of his way. And he just had this vision and not a, not a good man, by the way, in my, in my book. Um, did he have a leadership style? So this is one of those things that you can't see the wind, but you can see the impact, right? Yes. So if you look at Jobs as a people manager, he was clearly terrible. Yeah. Um, There are some stories, and I quote one in my book, around how awful it was to work and how under stress and insecure people felt around him. There clearly were two Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs before he got fired from Apple and Steve Jobs after he'd gone off to India, meditated, got some self-awareness, um, built another company, got that company acquired by Apple and came back to being CEO. He was different. So a charismatic or a visionary leader is a leadership style and it is the style for the right context. And in the rapidly growing software industry, um, hardware industry, because, because Apple merged the two, whereas Microsoft was you know, um, clearly a little bit separate between hardware and software. But by being a visionary around offering people an ecosystem and being able to articulate that need to clients, people followed that, right? Now, if you put Steve Jobs in charge of a whole bunch of doctors who were highly competent, knew their own values, uh, and he tried that leadership style on them, he'd get tossed out on his ear. Right. So we're back to my very first premise around it's about leader style, followers' motivation um, and skill set and the environment. And Steve Jobs was the leader for that time, for that place. And for those kind of people who 
really wanted, you know, they were passionate about the vision and they followed him for that reason, not because he was a great human being. So on that note, um, who is a great leader who, a good example of someone who has an adaptive style of leadership that uses their leadership based on the circumstances and can adapt well? It's a horrible question. Um, it's a good question. <laughs> I've it's never heard qu- anybody say I had a horrible question ever. It's a horrible right. question in terms of whoever you say, all right, then goes and does something, right? So, you know, when we talked about coaching, we used to say, well, you know, Tiger Woods is a great example about the power of coaching because he has coaches. And then Tiger Woods clearly didn't have a coach in his relationships because, you know, he then uh, blotted the landscape in terms of his personal brand. Um, and, you know, Elon has, you know, just bought out Twitter and, you know, just tweeted out a conspiracy theory. So picking an individual to talk about the ideal of leadership, perhaps it's not horrible, but it's dangerous, right? Again, it's contextual. I'm, I'm British by birth and, you know, we love Sir Winston Churchill because he right. was our wartime prime minister and he, he led us through the blitz. Uh, well, not me, but, you know, my parents and my grandparents. Yeah. But if you talk to an Indian, they hate him. If you talk to an Australian or New Zealand, they hate him because his leadership style was wrong for India. He did terrible things to India. He did terrible things in South Africa. Um, he did terrible things at Gallipoli, you know, in terms of letting Australians and New Zealanders die in Gallipoli. But at that moment of the Second World War, he was the right leader for that right context. Yeah, but um, those are results. And uh, um, I, I'm talking more about style. Personality? Style. Style. So, style. yeah, style. So, when the, somebody, you know, you know, would we say that Winston Churchill, you know, had a, well, I think what we're saying here is the modern style of leadership is the ability to change like a chameleon your leadership style based on the circumstances. Are we saying that Winston Churchill was good at that? No, he was terrible at that. Right. He and had back then, style. right, that be- back then it was very – it was one style. You know, I think yes. every uh, every different generation probably has a different style, right? So yeah. what – you know, I'm going to go back to my original terrible question, that, according to you. <laughs> um, terrible which, question for me, not terrible question yeah, for you. There you go. <laughs> so is there somebody now that you think, you know uh, – does a good job of adaptive leadership style. But the interesting thing is that there are thousands of these people, but yeah. you don't see them in the news, right? right? Because you know, to, to be newsworthy, you have to be on the end of the, the, dem- the, the, the standard deviation. The yeah. people that we hold up are the uniques, right? So there, there is only one Elon Musk that, you know, there's only one Bill Gates, right? Um, and and these guys are massive, massive outliers, and they get famous because they had the right leadership style for the right context and the right time. We don't know whether they were adaptable or not. We know that Steve Jobs wasn't because lots of people complained about him. So there are lots of people listening to this show right now who actually have a big heart for their people, but have a strong business acumen, and they adjust recruitment you know, depending on the context and the time, that they struggle through that. Um, 
at the, the, the forward of the book is written by a CEO who I've coached for nearly 20 years and watched him grow and evolve. But at the, mid, the beginning of the pandemic, we're on a Zoom call and he was figuratively in the fetal position. He wasn't actually, but he was like, you know, it felt all personal to him because he was a, you know, he'd been dropped by venture capitalists into a new company to grow and expand. He had the runway. I'd been, uh, I'd been at his company launch, and you know, everything being rebranded. Everything was on the runway, ready to take this company off. COVID hit, and he was like, "Why did this happen to me?" Right? You know, it's all about me. You know, my runway. This was my, you know, this was my big opportunity. And I said to him, "Look." You know, dude, you know, get off the floor. You, this is your test of leadership. Your people need you to be a different kind of leader right now. The runway is not the not important. You need to support your people. And he said, "You're right, Andrew. What do I? You know, we discussed what he needed to do, and he got on the phone. He made sure everybody was all right. You know, he sent care packages where care packages needed to go. They had back end in India. They sent oxygen machines to to their office so that anybody that needed them, you know, for their parents needed oxygen machines during COVID. He did all of the right things at that time in that context. And then as things tightened up, he stepped back into his normal style, got things cranked up. That company's just had three amazing quarters. So you won't know, you won't necessarily know this guy yet. So it's a, it's an example that the people who are doing it in in the trenches listening to this right now are the true leaders. Everybody else is an outlier, and there's a danger in picking an outlier and saying, this is what you need to be like. When I wrote my 2012 book, my co-author and I, Dr. Anna Kazan, looked at all the, the leadership memes on LinkedIn and Facebook. Leaders are like this. Leaders are like this. And the list was so long, it might as well have included can turn water into wine, can walk on water. And I think, you know, but between us, we had this conversation. This is not healthy. Leaders are human beings. Leadership is a process. Yeah, I think I'm I agree with you. Uh, I, I agree. You know, there's an old saying, and as if you, if you, and then I'm going to back into what I was, uh, something I'm, I'm going to say. But if you read three books on any subject matter, you, you're an expert. And so, yeah. So what happened was like when I dove into leadership styles and I started reading about different famous people and, and, you know, just really learned about the subject of leadership and through that um, process and that learning evolved my understanding of what type of leader I wanted to be, you know, what was my style, you know? It and it's not. Listen, it's although I'm extremely process oriented, and you know, I it's not always in, that leadership is not in a box. You know, there there's so many variables that are thrown at you that um, and your emotions come into play too. That you're not going to be a robot and act the same way every single time. And um, but I would tell you that those variety of different books I, I read from Sam Walton to, uh, to Grant to uh, John D. Rockefeller to, um, uh, you know, I can go on uh, to uh, Martin Luther King to Gandhi to uh, a variety of other people. Uh, Winston Churchill um, had a big influence on me of just being aware of what leadership really means. 
And um, oh, you you have you have no argument for me there, and it, and it's I know why you asked the question because it's good to hold up a, you know, it's good to model. Well, excellence. I get there faster. That's the reason. See the the reason why I ask. Um, I'm an extremely competitive athlete. Okay, and the fastest way that I've learned in in the variety of different sports that I've done at a very high level is the fastest way for me to get to where I'm going is is to see a role model and really try to uh, uh, do what they've done or to see how else I can get there. Go on, what were you going to say? No, it is. Look, role modeling is a great way to start learning. The point about leadership is you're in front and there becomes a point when there is nobody in front of you. And, and, oh, yeah. And, and at that point, you don't have any reference. And it's interesting. A lot of people won't make that last step to be a leader. They're quite happy to be a 2IC because they can be operational and somebody else is doing the visioning and the articulating. So the reason I shy away from the question, and there's lots of people I could quote, and I've read this many, many books too, but the message that, you, you know, you, you read my bio, my, my, my bio says, you know, I'm on a mission to wake people up to be the best version of themselves. And I want to give people permission to step into leadership because leadership, as I said, is not a popularity contest. And they, the whole point is you need a leader when there's no longer a path. If you just need to follow the path and process, we need management. We don't need leadership. Just follow the process. Follow the, follow the steps. Don't, don't err and you'll be fine. Right, you can you can see why I cover your um, whatever, and you know you'll be fine. But we need leaders when there's no longer a path. Um, the standard operating procedure is not viable in this particular context. And at that point, they've they've got to step back from the situation and go, okay, I need to take responsibility here. I've got accountabilities to the people around. I'm not sure 100, percent but I need to do this. Let me give you an example. During the uh, Taj Mahal bombing in Mumbai in India, the entire leadership team of a global client, I won't mention who they were, were in the hotel. Now, since the Manchester United um, crash when the entire team got, uh, got wiped out, HR tend to not to want to fly the whole of global leadership on one plane, but they all get together at the same hotel. And there was a terrorist attack at the Taj Mahal. There's smoke, there's sounds, the sounds of gunfire. And this is a room full of leaders of a, a huge global organization who you would know. And they're all trying to step up into leadership, but none of them know what to do. And there is a 27-year-old assistant manager, six months on the job, who says, you're in my hotel, you follow my instructions, and I will get you to safety. Wow. And her, you know, the, the, her phone rang and it's her mother. Yes, mum, I'm all right. I'm doing my job. I'll call you back when I can. And this 27-year-old assistant manager led the senior leaders of a multi-billion dollar organization to safety. Yeah. Now, when I went in to speak to that company, the, the, I learned the story because the speaker before me was there and he said, this is what leadership is. And I had to follow that. And honestly, that right there, that 27-year-old in Mumbai, in the midst of a crisis, that's leadership. Yeah. And you'll well, never think, know her name. You'll never know her name. Yeah. Well, I think it comes down to the idea is that leadership is an art, not a science. And so as it being an art, you can't, 
it's not a, something you can easily uh, put a structure behind. And it's, it's, it's as I said at the beginning, it's yes, it's art. There is a science to it. There are principles. There are frameworks. Yeah. And why I wrote this book is because in the work that I do with my clients, I identified. 12 conversations that leaders have regularly, but many leaders struggle with. So, you know, the book has leadership principles, which all leadership books have, but I took the book from 35,000 feet down to the playing field. And that's why I called it a playbook. These are the set conversations, how to have a feedback conversation, how to have an outcome conversation, how to have a difficult conversation, how to have a career conversation, how to have a coaching conversation. And to your point of role modeling, I give some examples and some dialogues of great leaders who've had those conversations in a way that you can say, okay, well, I could say that and that would prepare me for the conversation I need to have tomorrow afternoon with Samantha or Simon or whoever you're dealing with. Yeah, you know, the, um, we got to wrap this up. I, I would just tell our, our listeners, because again, all of our listeners are mostly entrepreneurs who are under $5 million in size and revenue uh, US. And, um, and so, you know, they're, they're starting to learn as they grow their organization, how important leadership is. And the, the, the light bulb went on my head was when somebody, I was at a lecture, I was at a, a, a seminar and they said, this is early on in my career. Uh, and, and they said, there are three types of workers at a company. You have the worker B who does all the work. You have the, the, the manager in the middle who's making sure the worker B is doing their job and also you know, managing the resources of the company. And then you have the leader. And, you know, one of the things that I was doing a lot of, like, I was really into, like, uh, uh, I had a coach and she was the second in command from Michael Gerber who some of you guys might recognize Michael Gerber because he was famous for saying you should be working on your business, not in your, you're in, not in your business. And so those two things came together and it made me realize the company was getting to a point where I could start working on it and being a leader instead of being a leader and a manager. And then that's when I hired a second in command and I was able to move more into understanding leadership and, and paying attention to it. Um, and that's where I, I think I made a, a great strides, not just as a leader, but the company really took off at that point as well. Yeah, to the to that's that's awesome. And you know, to the point that I said, at some point you realize there's nobody in front of you. Yes. And you have to choose the path. And that's what made me think and of it. When you said that, I realized that's what had happened to me at that time. Um that's good. The only caveat I would say about that is back to my story of the, the Taj Hotel in Mumbai is that where is that 27-year-old on that model? Is she a worker bee? No, she's a leader. So organizations that can create a culture where you can bubble up those leaders at all levels of the organizations, organization, those are the ones that will scale faster. Well, because, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I, I cut you off. Your audience sure. will want to get to that particular level. If they make it all about themselves, they're going to hit a ceiling of of scale very quickly. Well, listen, um, many people have a hard time keeping their employees, and if you want to really show how much you care and how much you want your employees, invest 
training in them. And, uh, uh, you know, what I did with my person that I moved into the second command model is I made sure she took leadership classes, not just management classes, but leadership classes. And she stayed with me for 18 years and she grew really well into those, those roles. And she, you know, she, she, she became completely loyal to me, worked for me for two different companies. Um, and, uh, so it goes back to the idea of leaders, managers, and worker bees. And, uh, but, you know, it's really good stuff. Listen, that's all the time we have for today. I, I really enjoyed the conversation we had. It was very interesting. I'd like to thank so very much Andrew Bryant from Self Leadership International for coming on today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. I think this is like my 210th episode and the leader's that I have on here, like Andrew, are just fantastic for helping you think outside the box. Um, and please, if you also uh, liked this episode or any of the other ones are willing to give us five stars, please give us a review. It helps us get a word out. And if you're looking for a line of credit for your business, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com. That's FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com. Andrew, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? So the easiest place to find me is selfleadership.com, and there's a link to the book there. There is a dedicated domain, thenewleadershipplaybook.com. And if you have a question for me, the best place is to connect with me on LinkedIn and uh, ping me a question there. Great. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. So like the summary for today, the thing that my takeaway was – Let's go back to something I originally said, and that is about diving into a subject matter. And I think, you know, picking up one of Andrew's books, I mean, he seems to be really knowledgeable about this stuff. He's done it for a long time. Picking up one of his books and starting off by reading one book on leadership. And then I think your leadership style will start to becoming more and more self, uh, 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 self-aware, which I think is the key part of leadership. So other than that, everybody have a fantastic day and uh, make sure you take good care of yourself. That's an important part of being a good leader. It's a long road, this entrepreneurship thing. It's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Have a great day.